Donald's over there with the entire uh, K through six group, and I want to give him time to talk through these same things, so we don't want to rush too much. But um, I already feel like Kevin. Uh, you know, we've talked about this before that. We determined at the beginning, you have to make a decision when you walk through the Bible how fast you do it. And uh, we talked for, uh, you know, a couple of days because Mark is so jam-packed full of stuff. You're like, gosh, I mean, each chapter we really should, you know, like break down. Because, like, you'll go through this and you'll be like, gosh, this is like three different things, you know. Like, either every one of those could be, you know, a week. And they could be, okay. We made the determination through prayer and just, you know, reflection that Mark is written to be fast-paced and con- condensed, you know, the, Matthew and the other books talk more. They give you more details about a lot of these things. Mark's like, boom, 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 boom. And it's meant to be eaten like that, you know. And so that's how we're going to go through it. But when we go through these things, um, we do have those daily emails that we're sending out. And we have the reflection that Kevin has put together that you can get on our website, the challenge and everything. To, uh, I want you to engage with, this stuff on your, on, engage with this stuff on your own in so that we're giving you what I think is somewhat in this series is somewhat of a bible class it's more of like you know we're having like say here's this thing here's why jesus is doing it here's some things about it you need to take it and reflect on it because if we did this on everything you'd be here to like we'd be into the kansas city uh, chiefs game and i know everybody would be very upset about that so um we'll try to keep it brief but i'm not trying to say by brevity that it's not important it's all very important and you need to engage with these things and sometimes like we'll go through today you know, two or three stories, depending on how you count. And one of them might really speak to you right now, and that's the one you need to engage with, okay? That's how the Bible works. And so this, like I said, this the, the outline of this chapter is really two stories. I kind of say three, so it's like I have a slide for this. There it is, yeah, okay. Mark, it's like the first one is overpowering the legion of demons, and then the second one is sort of two things stuck together, the healing of a girl and... um and healing of an outcast, the healing of a girl and an outcast woman. He's healing of both of these things, but they overlap, and you'll see why and how. Um, but I wanted to, uh, I, I ran into a resource this week. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we talked about demon possession and, and actually how demon possession is a very major subject of the book of Mark, and it's uncomfortable for our, our way of thinking, our society's way of thinking, maybe not us as Christian people, but definitely as a greater Western society. We're like, demon possession, really? Is that a thing? You know, and the answer is yes. And it's, and I, I showed a picture of a triangle that had three points on it. The top one saying demon, demonic activity. The bottom right, or it depends on which, whatever. The bottom side said drug addiction, and then the other side said uh, mental disabilities or mental struggles or something like that. You know. Um, and that we in our culture oftentimes, we read a word like demon possession and we replace it with one of those bottom words, you know, and just say, oh, he must have just had some sort of mental struggle and they didn't know what to call it, so they called it demon possession. And I was saying three weeks ago that that's not a good way to read the Bible. He's actually talking about the top thing. But then it also said, and I believe, I'm, we're getting to this, this is why it's important, that all three of these things do have a weird relationship. Anybody that's done any work with people that are addicted to drugs and things will know there's, there's oftentimes something that you wouldn't say is just, that's a, that's a struggle or that's a thing, but there's something evil going on here. The demonic stuff, they kind of, it, 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 they, they work together in some sort of twisted sort of way. So I would say they are separate things, though. Like, not everybody that's addicted is necessarily demonically possessed. Um, and not everybody that's demonically possessed is going to be on drugs. You see what I'm saying? Like they're, but they do oftentimes relate a lot, just like the rest of our lives, you know? So, um, but I found a resource, because I, I remember thinking a couple weeks ago, I probably didn't give everybody enough to, like, hold on to, because you're like, well, so is that new Exorcist movie legit then? I don't like, what are you talking about? And I, I don't know. I haven't seen it. I saw a trailer that it exists. But the, uh, um, probably not, but <laughs> the point is, I found a good resource on demon possession, which I know you were all looking for. And so, uh, Corey Tinboom, of all people, wrote a book called Defeated Enemies. And I read through it this week and thought, this book is great. And there's actually an audible version as well. So if you're like not a reader reader, you can check this book out for free on the audible version from the Jacksonville Library right now. You can go on the app and go, I'm going to check this out and listen to this on the way to work instead of other things. And um, <laughs> she... Uh, deals with the subject very helpfully, very matter-of-factly. And she's, she says she's guided by this thing, which is in C.S. Lewis's book, Screwtape Letters, which is about demon possession. 
or demons, demons influence over people, some imagined transaction between multiple demons talking about affecting people. And she said that she was guided by this idea that in that book they talk about how the problem with people is usually one of two things. Either they're like completely dismissive, like don't even believe, like this demonic stuff, so like it's like Scooby-Doo, it's made up, it's all of, you know, it's fake, it's not real. That's the first deception. Like they don't even believe that we're real. But then the second one is that like, they get like super focused on it. So like everything is demonic all the time. Neither one of these are a healthy way to live. And that's not how Christian people live. So her whole point was like, this is obviously a big deal in the Bible, but it's also very obvious that Jesus is like setting everyone free. So we don't need to walk around completely worried all the time or like none of this is real. You know, it's not healthy to think in either one of those ways. But it's hard to find people that are living that out. I found one. This is a really good resource. Go back to that. I want to make sure everybody, defeated enemies. And that's her whole, whole, you know, she doesn't hold back saying, like, I know this might make you uncomfortable. She makes you uncomfortable, depending on, I don't know what level of comfort you have with what I'm saying right now. I'm just trying to be honest with you. She tells the truth about it. And I'm saying this is coming from a reliable source. But she also doesn't, like, inflate everything into, like, Hollywood, okay? Also, now go to that quote. This is the kind of guiding thing for today and for maybe this whole idea. Jesus came... To undo the works of Satan. That was a quote in the book. And I was like, there it is. Jesus came to undo the works of Satan. Satan is bad. Satan hates us. Satan has evil work that he does. And Jesus came to undo that work. And he does. And he did. And he will. And ultimately, totally. Okay? So we're on the winning team. When you read a story... Now, this story sounds very um, uncomfortable to our modern ears. And that's just one of those things, we'll have to deal with it, you know? That's just, you have, when you encounter something in the Bible that makes you uncomfortable, you can either just decide, I'm going to find a way to not have to believe this is true, or you have to engage with it and let whatever, you know, that's, it messes with you, you know? And I think in this way, I, I thought about this, that since I believe this is true, and since I believe Jesus does come to undo the works of Satan, you might see a tension in your mind that says, is this story that we're seeing with Jesus and this demon-possessed guy supposed to be taken literally or metaphorically? Right? Let me, let me say what's, like, the difference between that. Like, so is literally meaning like this guy literally had demon spirits living inside him, saying things and doing things? Like literally, like if the guy walked in here, you'd be like, like the movie, the Exorcist movie or something like that? Maybe not exactly, but something in that vein, that's what you're saying to me? Or is it symbolic? Like, oh, I get it. He can kind of represent like society struggling with, you know, massive political polarization and how everybody's hating each other. This kind of like, is that what he means? And my answer to you would be if you said, is this supposed to be taken literally or metaphorically? My answer to you would be yes. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Okay? Let's just make this clear. Yes. And I want to, and as we go through this story, I want you to do, this is your part. Whichever one of those makes you, like, the, like you're going to probably default to one. Like, if you grew up Pentecostal, you're like, of course it's literal. Duh. You know? <laughs> We've been there, done that. You know? And if you grew up, I don't know, Baptist, you know, be like, or maybe like, let's say Reformed or something. Well, of course it's metaphorical, you know? Because it represents how Jesus acts in this world and all this kind of stuff. So, what I'm going to say is, if you're this guy, I want you to engage today as if you're this guy. And so if you're a metaphorical person, hear the story as literal. Because I think you'll find some dirt in your life, if you, you know what I'm saying? And if you're the literal person, and that's how you're always, you like, see it societally, okay? Don't even engage with it as if this guy's speaking, like, hear it as in the voices speaking to society right now those de demonic forces. Because the Bible, as we just went through in Ephesians, and I'm not going to read it again because I did it just recently and we read it a couple weeks ago, we're dealing with principalities and powers. And our weapons are spiritual. And you need to understand that because I'm starting to hear a lot of Christian spiritual leaders starting to talk about literally saying our politics is the spiritual warfare of the day. And I'm like, what are you talking about? That is crazy. All right, I'm going to make this very, very clear. So, if you're the metaphorical guy, engage literally. And if you're the literal guy, engage metaphorically. All right? And I'm using the guy as a gender neutral term for everyone. So, hey. 
Verse 1, they went across the lake. Jesus went across the lake with his disciples to the region of the Gerizines. This is a, this is a Gentile area now, right? When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. Dude lives in the tombs. That's messed up. So, good indication. The guy comes out of the tombs. <laughs> like, verse 3, the man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been chained hand and foot. But he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Remember the strong man language a couple weeks ago? No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. This is a tormented person. He lives in a dead place. He's crying out at night and cutting himself. We see some things like this these days. When he saw Jesus from a distance... Interesting response, this demon guy, when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. So the demon guy comes to Jesus. Just to, this, I'm giving you things, remember, to like reflect on. Jesus, this, the demon guy comes to him, and it's the demons kind of speaking. Don't, you know, and he calls Jesus by name, which is interesting. You know, he says, Jesus, where is it here? Jesus, son of the most high God. He knows exactly who Jesus is, and he's very disturbed by that, and he identifies him. But then he even tries to do, in the, in the way that demons do manipulating things, he even tries to set Jesus against God a little bit. If you see this in here, he says, uh, son of the most high God, in God's name, don't torture me. See what I mean? He's not saying in your name. That can't, he can't get any distance there. But he's like, in God's name, like this is wrong. Like they know, like I, I just told you these feasts, right? Things Jesus did, you know, when he first came. Things Jesus is going to do when he, this, I'm not, I, did, I stumbled through it. I'll try again next week. <laughs> I'll do a little better. But the, uh, the, this is not like a mystery. That's in the Bible. You know, we may not all know it, which is strange, but these demons know it. They know eventually that they're condemned with Satan. And he's like, you're showing up now. I don't, this I wasn't ready for. You know, don't, you know, don't torture me. He tries to manipulate even Jesus. And then Jesus responds, come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send him out of the area. This is a demon begging Jesus. So strange. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. And the demons begged Jesus, send us into those pigs and allow us to go into them. And he gave them permission to do this. He gave them permission and the impure spirits came out, went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank in the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs, so like, it's like, Maybe they thought, if we can get into the pigs, we can get out of here. But then they're so crazy, the whole thing just goes insane, and they just all drown into the, you know, and it scares everyone, you know. So you start to see what happens. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this to the town in the countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it, those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man, and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. They were like, I don't know who you are, but this scares me. And that kind of makes sense. I mean, you got a guy you can't deal with in any way. Everything's, you've tried everything, and then this guy, it's like the whole, like he shows up, and immediately the whole thing's dealt with, but in a, now there's dead pigs everywhere. It's, 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 it's overwhelming. But it definitely took Jesus showing up. We sing Maranatha, come, come Jesus, come ultimately, come now, come in every way you can come. He doesn't just show up and he's like, well, he's a little better. You know, he came into an impossible situation and then he leaves, and it, or he doesn't leave yet, but it's like he shows up and an impossible situation is immediately dealt with, but in a way that makes everybody uncomfortable, or at least most everybody uncomfortable. 
So they asked Jesus to leave. And so I guess so he's like, okay, I will. And Jesus was getting into the boat. The, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. He's like, hey, can I go with you now? Like, I'm, I'm like, good. I'm sitting and talking in my right mind and all that kind of thing. Um, Jesus didn't let him. He said, go home to your own people. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has, how God is, or in how he has had mercy on you. So the men went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. So this is the first Gentile we see sent out. He sent out, he's like, go back to your people and tell what Jesus has done. And that's kind of the, the like, MO for the rest of us. Like, go back to your people and tell them what Jesus has done for you. And it was also kind of obvious, like everybody knew. I'll say a few, I'm going to keep going, and we'll say a few things at the end that tie all three of these stories together, or two and a half. But he tells people about Jesus, and they were all amazed. And then Jesus crossed over the boat to the other side, verse 21. When Jesus had crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. And then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. There you go again. Somebody needs something from Jesus, falls at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hand on her so she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. This is like menstrual bleeding, but it's, she's, something's wrong. So she's bleeding for 12 years, which is both a health concern and a ritualistic purity concern. Because if you remember in the laws that governed Jewish life and the Jewish temple and all these sorts of things, there was specific laws about menstrual bleeding, and it made her impure, meaning that, like, she couldn't take part in certain rituals. And even if she touched somebody, that person would be impure for the rest of the day or days. It depended, you know, and, and so there's a, there's a lot of complication to this lady's life, right? Not just physical. You need to see that. There's a physical element that actually, yeah, this is a lot of blood loss, and even now it would be serious, but it's... Back then, there's not as much nutrition and all this kind of thing. It's a big deal on every level. It's a big deal physically. It's a big deal socially. It's a big deal religiously. Okay? You need to know that. So, well, where is it? What verse are we in? 26. Okay. So, she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent, and had spent all she had. So, she's given all her money to try to get better. She's not passive. Okay, guys? Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. How many of you have been there? You don't have to raise your hand. That actually might be like, yeah. Let's see you. I don't know. If, yeah. I'll, I'll not ask people to raise their hand anymore. Okay, so, but you know what I'm talking about. She'd done everything she could, and instead of getting better, it actually got worse, you know. And when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Nobody told her that in the sense of like, if you read in Ezekiel, you know, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, the, when the Son of Man comes, if you just touch his, you know, it's not like that. You might be able to put two and two together now, like we, you know, but like, she just knows it. She's like, if I could just, I don't need, I don't need his full attention. Like, he's already going to heal somebody else. And she would probably, if you could talk to her, would say, this girl's situation is more serious than mine. Or if you only have time for one, I would rather you go heal her. But I don't need all of it. I just need a tiny little bit. If all I can get is just a touch, that's all I need. If I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped. And she felt her body. She felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. So this is an amazing miracle. Because she touched, just touched Jesus' cloak. This amazing miracle takes place. And everybody lived happily ever after. So she realizes she's better. She's like, oh my, oh my gosh, something happened, you know? At once Jesus realized the power had gone out of him, and he turned around to the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? So I think that if I'm knowing her, I'm like desperate, I'm going to try to, like, I don't need a lot of attention. I'm just going to, and you're like, oh, my gosh, it worked. And then, who touched my clothes? That's, that's a high, two, that's like a low, high, low. And I, I could feel that one. Who touched my clothes? And then the disciples are like, what are you talking about? Like, we're trying to get through a crowd of people. Everybody wants to touch you. It's like, that's, that's, that's kind of a dumb question. 
Like, who didn't touch you? All of us did. They all did, you know. So they say, you see the, the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, who touched me? Like, everybody did. But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. it Yeah, it was the, the you know, parallel stories. Jesus says he felt power going out of him. Oh, wait, there's it here. Yeah, once Jesus realized the power had gone out of him. Okay, yeah. But, okay, verse 32. But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. So she told him everything. All the stuff that we just learned. Probably a lot more. You know, I've suffered this whole time. Da, 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 da. And I didn't, I didn't want to bother you. I didn't want to, you know. But see, this is the interesting thing. Because then Jesus says, he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Now, we understand it very easily from a physical side of things. She was physically hurt. She was bleeding. She's physically better. This is great. People under in this culture and reading this would understand there's a lot of other things going on here because um, she's ritualistically impure. If you remember when Jesus is setting, or when God's setting up the tabernacle and he's saying, he's like, I want this to be cleansed and I want this to be this. And there's a certain thing about holiness and it's not always about sin. It's about rightly handling God things. And he gives you instructions about it. And he actually cares when you kind of make up your own rules, okay? And if you remember, a couple years ago, we were talking about David. David goes and gets the Ark of the Covenant. The covenant, the Ark of the Covenant of God's presence that Moses and all those guys built according to God's instruction. God sends his spirit on it. it. It's in the center of the tabernacle. And then it's the presence of God with him, with this box. It's a gold-covered box. You've seen Indiana Jones. It looks like that. And then years later, through things they've lost it or they had, you know, there's more stories. They don't have it where it's supposed to be. David's like, I'm going to make this right. It needs to be like it was when Moses was here. And so they go, go to get it, and they're bringing it back in, and they don't carry it the right way. Y'all remember this. They don't carry the right way. They just put it on a cart. That's fine, right? Maybe it's better. God said, carry it on poles. That's how I want you to carry it. My presence, do it the way I say you do. Okay, yeah, carry it on poles. Right. All right, put it on the cart, guys. Let's get it going. And then it bumps on something. And a guy puts out his hand to steady it. Now, it's like he doesn't want the box of God's presence to fall on the ground. So he puts out his hand. You might go, man, that's a good idea, right? Other you let God, God's box fall on the ground. You think God's going to care about that? You know, but the whole thing is out of order. God's like, I didn't want it on a cart at all. I wanted you to carry it. And you just touched it? That guy dies. And David's like freaked out. He's like, I don't even know what to do right now. And he gets mad. And like, just put it in that guy's house till we figure it out. I'm sure that guy was like, oh, good. You know, <laughs> put it in the other room, you know, <laughs> we're going to shut that room. But, you know, that guy gets blessed and stuff. It's the presence of God. It's a good thing, but it's serious, too. It's just weird. So, so in that list of stuff, <laughs> this lady's like, when you're bleeding like this, you can't, you have to separate yourself because the, God takes blood very seriously, ceremonially, and all these kinds of things. We need to get into all of it today. But this one's stuck. Because it's supposed to be just a couple days a month. Now it's forever. So she can't touch anybody or else her impurity goes on to them. Then they can't do things. And the other problem is, and Jesus knows this, is that God had given some instructions. And like we do, we like to make up other rules on top of it. Because it's like, okay, there are some, okay, if this lady touches you, there are things you can do, bathing and stuff to deal with it. But it's a hassle for me. So can you just not touch me? Then we can just... Then I don't have to do that, you know what I mean? And so other rules got added to it, you know? And Jesus starts to, we're still in the phase where people are figuring out who even Jesus is. And so, so she lives in a world that's not only God has given instructions, but then there's like, for lack of a better term, church instruction. It's Jewish instruction on top. So she's like doubly distanced from God, maybe even more. I don't know. These extra rules in there that people have added for their own benefit hurt her even more. So she's in a weird spot where she's kind of physically hurt, run out of all of her money trying to deal with it. And then she's stuck away from all her society in a way that puts her in a, if you reach out in any sort of way, you hurt other people in this whole thing. So to protect other people, you have to, you know, 
distance herself. Somehow, she knows, like she knows, if I could just touch this, just the tip of this guy's robe, like that's all I got. I mean, I don't need to, the whole thing, just this. But in just this, she also knows that other guy did that to the ark, and he died. You see what I'm saying? And I don't know how she, it doesn't tell you how she knows. If I could just touch his robe, I'm not going to die. And I won't make him impure. And I won't make everybody else impure either anymore, you know. So she has this bravery, like sneaking. I don't know if she's sneaking. She's in the crowd. She's not trying to draw attention to herself. And the moment she does the thing, two things happen. She knows she's healed. And she's called out immediately. And there's this thing, there's this po- pattern in God's word about like the things done in secret will be brought into the light. We always like to be like, I'll get away with this. I'll just get healed and I'll sneak away and nobody will ever know. You know and, she, and it's immediately Jesus himself, God himself. You're not dead, but that former life is dead. And he's like, hey, who touched me? <laughs> it's hard for us to get to where she was at. So he's like, that's literally the thing. Touching. And I didn't touch him like, you know, I didn't kiss him. I didn't like grab him. I touched like part of his clothes, right? That same robe that we see in Isaiah that the hem of his robe fills the temple. Now Jesus is wearing it, literally and metaphorically. And she touches it, but it heals her. And he turns around, calls her out, and she does tell, she, that, this is the thing. That's the fight or flight thing. I'm going to run away, right? A lot of us get stuck right there, like right when it's happening, and then God says, who touched me? And then we go, and then we run. Remember about the weeds and the choking out of the growth, like the seed is, but you get choked out. Like some of us, that's the choking out. But she's like, I did it. And she's she's this desperate. And here's the thing you can know about interacting with God. That whole crowd of people needed something from Jesus or wanted something or at least wanted to see something even. Like, you know, he's doing cool stuff. Let's watch. You know, I mean, there's, everybody's interested. That's why his disciples are like, what do you mean he touched you? Everybody touched you. You know what I mean? But somebody actually touched him. So we got a room full of people like this. Everybody's, we're like the crowd, but there's some people that are actually touching him, you know. And I mean that in like this sort of way. And the reason these two stories get stuck together is not only just because they happen at the same time. Like, you know, Jesus is on his way to heal his daughter. Um... He's also on the way to, um, but it's all about touching. The guy has to be like, I need you to come lay hands on my daughter. Okay. So he's going to do that. And then this lady can't be touched or touch people. And she's also touching. And that's the healing that's there. But he tells her, your faith, go in peace. Not in death, not in, you know, go in peace. And be freed from your suffering. What a great thing to hear from Jesus. So let me finish this really quickly. Verse 35, while Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus. So Jesus stopped and listened to this lady. He was on the way to heal a little girl that was dying, right? They're like, I could see that dad being like, hey, cool and all, but and it's not funny, really. It's like, like seriously, like, you know, the synagogue leader, the, your daughter is dead, they say now. Why bother the teacher anymore? I can imagine how that guy felt. You always skip to the end. We're like, well, everything worked out. But, like, look, that guy's like, I had, like, yeah, you were going to help me. And now, th- I mean, I'm glad this, but, like, what kind of weird despair is that? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told them, don't be afraid. Just believe. So he says that to us when we were in that same spot. I thought you were helping me, God. Why? I'm glad. I'm so encouraged to see what you've done in this other person's life. But... And he says, don't be afraid, just believe. And then here's what happens. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, which you need to hold on to that. Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. The girl had died. He went in and said to them, why all of this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. And here's what it says they say to him. But they laughed at him. There's a lot of times when Jesus says things and the world laughs at him. It's okay. He doesn't go like, and then Jesus was really offended and killed them all. It says, 
Okay? Do you think Jesus knows that she's dead? He's, he's here speaking metaphorically. But, the, uh, but they laughed at him because they're like, they knew what dead people were. They're like, what is, who is this? You know, after, so don't be worried when the world laughs at him. After he put them all out, he's like, get out of here. He took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were there with him. So he's got Peter, James, John, and the parents. They're not laughing at him. They're just believing, right? And they went in there. He went in where the child was. He looked. He took her by the hand and said, "Talitha kum," which means "little girl." I say to you, get up. So he's like, "Girl, get up." Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was twelve years old. At this, they were completely astonished. This is, again, metaphorical. Like again, like somebody like, okay, the demon guy. I'm, I really want that to be metaphorical because that makes me uncomfortable. But like dead girl, like you know, it's the same situation. Is this metaphorical or literal? Yes. So if you're not comfortable with dead raising, jump into this boat over here. Jesus is raising dead people, okay? He wants us to do the same sort of thing, both literally and metaphorically. And if one of those makes you less comfortable, spend some time there. Immediately, and, and, and yes, there, we are supposed to be completely astonished. It's not like, well, that's normal. If you're like that, you're probably off somewhere, you know. It's not, you should be astonished when God does cool things. And he gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this. And then this is the best. This is the last verse that we're talking about today. And he told them to give her something to eat. I don't know why that's so awesome to me other than the fact that, like, in all of this, that's the last verse. She's probably hungry. She's been dead for a while. And they're like, that's, that's, very, that's very, very caring and very, very literal. Okay? Seriously. Like, that's very, very much tangible. Like, and she's probably hungry, guys. The end of this for the day. So, very quickly, I'm going to go through these two things. Um, just pay attention to that. I want you, I want you to put a, put a little flag in your mind. You go, this sounds very similar. Yes, Elisha did this. Right? And, like, it sounds very, yes, Elijah did this. That's why we just stole, we just talked about those stories. Jesus is doing this in the same way. And keep in mind, put another mental note. Who was there? James, John, Peter, okay? That will matter. I'm just skipping things because we don't have time. The lady So both of these things, the touching, he touches her or she touches him, she makes him impure. Touching a dead body also made you impure. Both of those things together, Jesus is reversing the flow. He's like, it used to be. And in the world... The dead things, the bleeding things make you impure. But now through what I'm doing, just like he took the feasts and he said, this is what they represent. But now it represents my body and this is my blood and I'm giving them to you. They've taken on more significance, which changes it, has a difference to it. He's saying the same thing with this. Before they touch you, you touch them, you're impure. Now I touch them and now in sending the Holy Spirit into us, you guys Go to impure things, and you bring purity to them by touching them. And it's not like magic, but it's, it's the Holy Spirit, okay? And it will um, cause astonishment, and that's good. Who wants to be astonished? I want to be astonished by the Lord, not in just ways I can imagine, all right? I want you to be astonished in your ways, because, like, we get stuck, we're stuck like her. Like, I've done everything I can. I've given everything. I don't have anything left. I've lost everything. I've lost people. I've lost my religious thing. I've lost everything. But I could just touch the tiniest little bit. And that's the truth. Otherwise, they wouldn't have left it in the book. Jesus came to undo the works of Satan. And he still is. We have three suffering people in this. The demon-possessed guy, he was chained. They'd done, like, I talked to Pastor Brown about this that they can't help themselves, these guys, you know? We're just singing about this, chains, fall, fear, bow, here now, Jesus, you change everything. You know, lives healed, hope found, here now, Jesus, you can't, that's, that's literally in these stories, chains falling, this guy's been chained, he can't, the guy, I'm trying to, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of being snarky today, but the, uh, if you read these stories and go, it's probably all their fault, 
all this stuff. You're not good at reading stories, all right? Like, that's just not the thing you should take away. These people are suffering here. I don't know what they've all done. You know what I mean? But the point of the story in the story isn't that girl deserves to be dead. And this other lady, she did some bad stuff. This is what happens when you do bad stuff. So these things, you know. And this guy, God, I mean, look at him. You know, he, whatever life he's leaving, you know, of course he's filled with demons. You know, like, we don't have that information to work with. And thinking like that, that's not how the story is written. So if I'm saying if you're thinking that way, you're just not reading stories well. So, like, drop that. And these are suffering people, all right? They probably have done bad things, just like you and me. But that doesn't mean this one for one, like, well, he deserves it. Leave a demon-possessed life. Pastor Brown and I were talking about this, and he said he always imagines this guy living in the tombs area. This is the desert. It's not like Florida where there's trees everywhere. I mean, there's some trees, but you can see kind of like, and there's hills. So there's hills and there's trees, and I mean, hills in like space, and cities weren't like Jacksonville or Duval County where it's like 45 minutes. To every, it's like you're kind of like, well, I'm in my house here, and then like your house is right there, and you know, and you can go over and still see a lot of this stuff. Well, the tombs he's living in are probably like over there, up a hill. So he's probably screaming out. They're hearing him. Like, it's, that's why, you know, and he's probably looking down at like, you know, he probably had friends. He probably wasn't always the demon guy. And he's probably looking at his like, you know, he can see. This is what Pastor Brown was saying. He always thinks about it. Like, he thinks about this guy looking down and seeing. He's like, well, I, I knew that guy. Now he's married and he has kids. And I'm here living like this. And that's, the, that's what he's wailing about. That's why he's cutting himself. He's like trying to get it out of him. You see what I'm saying? That's where this guy's at. He's not going, I'm really happy the way I am. And there's a, everybody's afraid of him, and they've chained him up, but he can even break chains. He has demonic strength. He's not happy living this way. This woman, I don't know what she did, but she's trapped, and there's nothing any person can do that can help her. And she's even actually kind of religiously stuck as well. And Jesus himself is the one who, and then the other girl is literally dead. So like, she's not gonna, you go like, what did you bring to the table? She's like, well, so, dead people don't bring a lot. You know what I mean? Like, if you were say like, well, what did, you know, she's not, she's just, they're not like, so that guy can't help him. She can't help. And this person like, in just case she didn't get the memo, really can't help. She's actually just dead already, you know? But then you start to see this role of the people. It's not, Jesus, Jesus does all the doing, Okay. So don't, if you are Calvinist or something, don't, I'm not, Jesus is the only one doing all the, I made this, Jesus does the doing, okay? So we're good. But, the people are involved, okay? Jairus goes to get Jesus. My daughter's sick, there's this guy out here, I'm going to go find him. He goes to get him, and he does get him. And then Jesus does the doing, and she comes back to life. Now, could she come back to life without Jesus? No. Did Jairus go get Jesus? Yes. Do you know dead people in your life? This is our role. Go get Jesus. If you're like, what does that mean? Now you're metaphorical. I don't know. You know, figure that out, okay? <laughs> but then you go to the middle lady, like, you know, she's stuck. But she knows somehow. I could just touch him. I won't die, but I'll be made well. And I don't know how she knows this. And she touches him. Some of us are stuck like this. We've tried everything. It's time to reach out to Jesus because he's the only one that can. And it is scary because you might die. And in a very other way, you do die. Like your old life is gone, but he's invited you to a new good life. You know, that's a good thing. <laughs> and then the demon guy. The people have tried everything. This guy might be in the... I put, I put this guy last. I know it worked reverse because it's kind of the most, in a weird way, the most d desperate of situations in the, the people action. He's maybe the most available in some ways. And the dead girl is the most dead. But she's got a good dad who reaches out for her. You know, this lady's all alone, but she still has some age, like agency to do anything. This guy's possessed with demons who are controlling him. And the demons take him to Jesus. So here's the deep, deep place you need to hear. If you're literally dealing with demons in your life or someone other person's life, they don't win. Okay? 
there's this strange thing that you start to see when Jesus goes to the cross. And there's been people, artists and writers, who've depicted this way better than anything I'm about to say, where it's almost like Satan. You see it even in the Chronicles of Narnia. Maybe I'll just go there. That the witch is like, ha, I tricked you. Aslan is representing Jesus dying here. He's like, you thought you were going to save this guy, but now you're not only going to just die on his behalf, but you're dead now. I win. That's how demons think. They think they're going to twist it somehow. Jesus, don't, don't. You're like, in God's name, don't do anything to, you know. They know what they're talking about. They know the Bible. They know who Jesus is, but they think they can work it in some weird way. The thing is, by doing that, they brought the guy to Jesus. So there's people that we need to be Jesus in this moment, or his, like he's sending out his disciples, to like say, come out of this guy, both literally and also the hope. I want you to have the glimmer of hope. If you're demon-possessed or if you're dealing with someone that is, that everything the demons do ultimately are going to lead them to Jesus. Or he can use even everything they're doing. Like you're going to see, if you engage in the ministry that Jesus has for you in your life, and what I mean by that is living a Christian life. I don't mean like, well, I guess I better get a business card. I'm a pastor now. I'm like, not like that. I mean just if you're a Christian person in this fallen world, okay, you're going to encounter people, desperate people, that need deliverance from you. They need healing from, this is all coming through the Holy Spirit, through Jesus. They need healing from you, and they need to be raised from the dead through you in literal and metaphorical ways, Okay. And you have to engage in this area seeing that at the most desperate moments, and you'll see some desperate things. Some of you have. That those things, they go like, checkmate, we won, is literally the moment when they start to lose. Because Jesus is so powerful. It's not like yin-yang where it's like, well, they pull pretty hard, but, you know, Jesus will get them in the end. It's not like, it's like, What? overwhelming victory is ours through Christ. I'm going to play you this song as a close. And I apologize for going so long today, but things happen. And uh, I want to read you this full scripture here that I encountered in this Cory Ten Boom book. The spiritual fullness in Christ is found in Colossians 2, 6 through 15. And then I'm going to play you this song I found this week, which doesn't really have anything to do with this. Uh, um, it's a video on the computer back there. Um, it doesn't really have anything to do particularly with this message, except for the fact that I was listening to it a lot while I was preparing for it. And it's about the presence of God. And I think that this, about like, what does the presence of God do? He does these kinds of things. He delivers people from demons, he heals the broken, and he raises the dead. And that's what his presence does. Colossians 2, 6 through 15. The heading in my Bible says this, spiritual fullness in Christ. So then, just as you received Christ as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive by hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human traditions and elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ... All the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. You have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him, you were also circumcised with the circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off. Your old life is dead. When you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him, in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all our sins, having canceled the charge of your legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And here it is. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Not just winning, a spectacle. Like, you know, they come, we win. 
And he's like, okay, good. I know you thought that. No, you don't. And it's now in front of everybody. Just like, the, you know, everything done in secret is going to be laid out. You know, they're stepping out. I'm stepping out of the darkness now. Look, I'm evil. Ha, ha, ha. And we win. He's like, ha, see, they even say they're evil. And they lose. They lose. They lose. So that's a lot to take in. I want you to experience this song. It's called I Love It Here. It's by a worship leader. I don't know her name, Anna Golden, but she's singing with Rita Springer, whom I love. And uh, I just want you to hear this. And let me pray before they hit play on that, that, Lord, I pray that you would work this work in us. I forgot to pray before we started praying, Lord, or before we started speaking. Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts through this. Set us free. That demonic voices in our family, in our minds, be silenced in Jesus' name. And come out of those here. And those within the sound of my voice. And our children. And this community, Lord, that we would move to bring deliverance to captives. And healing to those suffering and life to the dead where there is none. And that you would do that through us and in us. In all of us that need all of these things. That you would touch us with your healing touch, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So play this song, and uh, we'll close with this. So 
And uh, I just want to encourage you to get prayer today if you need it. We have prayer teams that are back over by the missions wall, and they're not uncomfortable with um, praying for all of these things. And if you need prayer, get prayer on the way out. Don't rush out. I know it's been late, but uh, if you need prayer, take some time to do it. And we'll link arms with you and pray with you as needed. And uh, I'll pray for us all as we go. And uh, the kids look like they're having a good time with Donald over there. So, Lord, we just pray that you bless this day, that we would walk out of here people free with new life, um, new restoration and healing, and free from oppression. In Jesus' name, amen.